Welcome to Highland Baptist Church, Sunday night service. Y'all, we're going to sing a song that I've, this is probably only the second time we've done it, but those of you that grew up in the Baptist Church in the 70s, I'm sure you've heard it. Uh, we've only, I think, sung it, like I said, once. But uh, it goes with your sermon, and uh, we're going to sing it tonight, and I hope we've got the words. Do we have the words? Yes, fill my cup, Lord. And I would say page 68, but it's only in my notes. Page 68. Miss Pat? Like the woman at the well I was seeking For things that could not satisfy go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you that we can be here tonight as we open your word. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy that you pour down on us daily. Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to worship you here as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we just pray, Lord, as we open your word, Father, may your spirit speak to our hearts. Help us to understand the things that you are saying to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
<clears throat> so I feel like I'm extra loud, but um, it's good to see y'all again this evening. And so I hope, you know, this morning was a blessing to you all to see the students' testimonies and hear Charlotte lead us in worship. That was awesome. And so I uh, just continue to pray for those students. And uh, part of our message tonight is a continuation of a little bit of what we talked about at camp. And so as we go on the theme of all conversations matter, if you saw those little blue brace bracelets that I handed out earlier, not only did it have the emojis, but I forgot to mention this, it said every. And so every conversation matters that you have. And so if you open to your Bibles, uh, John chapter 4, we're going to be looking at the, the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, some say. But if you Google, if you go to Google Maps and you type in the starting destination of Jerusalem, Israel, uh, start, the starting destination of Jerusalem in Israel to Jacob's Well Greek Orthodox Church, which is what they believe to be the spot where uh, the well was at, where Jesus was talking to the Samaritan. Uh, it says that it can take about 15 to 18 hours walk from that well to Jerusalem. All right, it's estimated about 45 miles. And so the, it was the main ridge road between Judea and Galilee, which was known as the ancient highway of the patriarchs. So it was kind of forged by the patriarchs. It was believed to have taken at least three days to get to either city, depending on where you were going. And so just keeping that in mind, and allow that to kind of help you understand what we're going to in, our, in the context of what we're talking about in the scriptures. So please stand with me as we read uh, the first uh, th three verses of John chapter 4. It says, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. Verse 4, he said, he had to travel through Samaria, and he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property of that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Thank you. You may be seated. So we see that this roadway would have been about a 15 to 18-hour trip by foot. Now, to walk 45 miles, when you try to put that where we're at today in Tullahoma, Tennessee, all right? That's like starting at Highland Baptist Church and walking to Bel Air Baptist Church in Murfreesboro. All right, and you're still going to be about three to four miles short. Now, could you imagine walking to Murfreesboro? No. I don't think any of us desire to ever, that's not, nobody's bucket list, right? It's to walk to Murfreesboro. But because that was the way of life back then, right? You had to walk where you go. And so when we look at in verses one through four, we're going to see it's understandable that he was tired, right? He had been walking for a long time. Maybe it took a couple days' journey to get to where he wanted to go. But either way, his feet were going to be sore. His feet were going to be tired. So look at verses 1 through 6. As we just read uh, verses 1 through 4, let's finish up at 5 and 6. Or we went through 5. Let's finish up verse 6. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. All right, so our first point is this. Jesus became tired and needed to rest, but he had an appointment to be at. We see in verses 1 through 6. He had an appointment to be at. So whether you are facing something in your life or walking 42 miles, at times we all feel worn out. Whether that's mentally or physically, we just feel tired. 
worn out. And probably the last thing on our minds is to have a conversation with someone if we've had a long, hard day, you know? Or if you got kids, you know, when you come home, it's, it may be question after question after question, and you have to kind of remember, all right, I don't get to answer these questions, you know, very often, and sometimes they may be the same thing over and over and over, but I need to make sure and remember that every conversation matters. You see, whether it's work, sports, family schedules, life situations, things are going to tear, tear us down and make us tired, and we're going to be worn out. You see, Jesus knew he needed to be at this place at a certain time in order to meet this woman. He knew what place, what day, what time the Samaritan woman would come to draw water from the well. For her, this was just going to be a normal thing to do. You know, it was part of her job was to get water for herself and whoever at the time she was living with. Now, because of who she was in the community, and, and I mean, you probably heard this story before, the thing was that she had, that she, when she did this, she was by herself because of the, uh, the relationship that she had, the relationship she had been in and the reputation she had about herself. So during the hardest part of the day wasn't necessarily when they would go to draw water from the well. You would want to go during the coolest part of the day. And so at the hottest part of the day, instead of being in, in the morning time with all the rest of the ladies from the community, she goes hoping, one, to get water, and then having to carry that water back. It was going to be hard, heavy. And so, but not knowing, though, when she woke up that day, that she was going to have a conversation that was going to be life-changing. You see, Jesus went to go meet her in that moment because he knew there was an appointment that he needed to be at. We see in our second point, verses 7 through 10, that Jesus revealed to this woman that there was a gift that God wanted to give her. Read verses 7 through 10 with me. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her. Because his disciples had gone into town to buy food, how was it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. See, for us looking at the story now, we know what the gift of God is, right? It's salvation through Jesus Christ. We know that in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, he says what? For by grace have you been saved, right? It is a gift of God. It's not of yourselves. You see, in verse 9, the woman is already a bit surprised that a Jew would even talk to her being a Samaritan. And even more so because she's a woman. Second, because she's a Samaritan. You know, Jewish men wouldn't talk to other Jewish women. You know, only their wives. You know, it wasn't something that it was, you know, you were to do as a Jew, especially talk to Samaritans. See, in verse 9, Jews and Samaritans, we know they didn't like each other uh, for various reasons. Number two, for she was taken back, he would even begin to start a conversation with her. You know, knowing her history and her background, being a, an adulterous woman, perhaps she thought, well, here's just a man sitting here, you know, maybe he's going to be the next customer. But that wasn't the case at all. See, notice what Jesus does. He doesn't entertain the cultural issues. He focuses on the real issue that was needed. 
You see, the woman was more shocked that a Jew would talk to a Samaritan. But Jesus didn't really care about those things. He wouldn't focus on, you know, the cultural issue of it. What he was focused on was the woman and her need. See, the woman thinking it was a gift to meet a physical need didn't realize the greater spiritual need was that of the living water would bring life where there is death. Look at me again at verse 10, what Jesus says. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. You see, this woman was dead spiritually. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. The living water to, to take what was dead and to make it alive. Our third thing that we see is that Jesus explains that those who receive the living water will be given eternal life. Look at verses 11 through 24. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. So, look at verse 15 again. The woman is still thinking of something physical that she needs that would help her in the moment. One, she doesn't want to thirst again. Two, she doesn't want to you know, have to go through the physical labor of having to carry the water back and forth. You know, dropping the bucket, pulling the bucket up. It wasn't an easy task, especially at the high noon, the hottest part of the day. And so... She thinks, you know, if I have this living water, then it's going to make my life easier. Jesus' words concerning the living water fit well with the gospel's love for words, right? Because it holds a double meaning, often demonstrated when Jesus speaks, but yet often as well people misunderstand what Jesus is saying. You see this with Nicodemus, right? When Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is thinking, well, how in the world do I climb back into my mother's womb? And that's not what Jesus is saying at all. Because Jesus spoke, and listeners often thought he was dealing with the physical or mundane level of reality, but the fact is that his words pointed to a deeper reality of truth. And this was an eternal reality. A person's eternity was at stake. People mistake and neglect their spiritual need by thinking that it's fulfilled through physical satisfaction and what brings true fulfillment. Again, we see this with the Samaritan woman. She probably thinks, well, if I have this water, I'm never going to thirst again. Or I don't have to come to the well. You know, I don't have to do this hard work anymore. Today we live in with so much convenience that any one of us can simply walk up to our sinks at our house, turn on the water, just fill up our cup, turn it off, and go sit back down. No one's really breaking a sweat out of it, right? There's no bucket or rope necessary. Just think about this for a moment. Where our culture is at, trying to satisfy things, spiritual needs through physical means, whether that's sexual relationships, 
Today's culture transitioning to a guy or a girl from what God has created you to be. You know, the thought, well, if I have more money or a better job or a promotion at work, life will be easier. I won't have these struggles anymore. Or I'll understand and I will truly be who I was made to be. You know, or fill in the blank. Dr. Gerald uh, Brochert, who taught uh, as a senior professor at Carson Newman College, says this. If anyone ever tells you that religion ought to stick to its business of saving souls and stay out of ethical issues of life, do not believe it. That was not the pattern of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and it certainly was not the way of Jesus with this woman. In order to make it possible for the woman to receive the living water by which Jesus spoke, it would be necessary for her to deal with the tragic nature of her sinful life. Therefore, Jesus confronted the woman with her life. She tried to avoid these issues of her husband in verse 17, just as she apparently thought to avoid coming for water along with the other women. Jesus spelled out clearly her ethical problem. So let's read verses uh, 16 through 21. It says, I don't have, or 16 says, go, call your husband, he told her, and come back here. So what's Jesus do? He confronts her lifestyle. She says, I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you have had five husbands, and the man you're now with is not your husband. What, have, what you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. So what's the woman do again? She goes back to the culture. You know, she goes back to the debate. Where do we worship God? And she's not missing what Jesus is doing. He's trying to help her address her sin. So, because according to Jewish tradition, it was permitted that a, a person could only be married three times, but she obviously had long passed that rule. She had seen that she had no husband at the time, and she realized that she was in fact, she stumbled onto an important idea, and that was that Jesus knew the truth about her. Jesus knows the truth about each and every one of us, even if we try to hide it from others. And in a world that's dying and lost in sin, and yet maybe they suppress the truth, you know, that we see that in Romans, right? That people suppress the truth of God for a lie. You see, the truth is that when we come face to face with Jesus, we also must be willing to address the sin in our life when we go before Christ. Because Jesus doesn't want the sin to stay. He died so that it would be removed. You see, when Jesus comes and he talks to this woman and he tells her, you know, and he says to her in verse, seven, in verse 16, go and tell your husband, it's not that he didn't know, but he was testing the woman. What was she going to say? She comes to know Jesus in this moment where he's, he tells her the truth. And, and we look in, in John chapter 7. Verses 37 through 39, when we talk about the living water, he says, On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. And again, we just read that in John chapter 4, right? In verse 14. The last part, in fact, the water will give him life and will become a well, a water springing up in him for eternal life. If you go back to John chapter 7, look at verse 39. 
John says he said this about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Because Jesus was still with the people in this time, he could give that living water to them. And so this living water, it was a gift of God. It was salvation for those who were lost and dying. Jesus clearly explains that those who believe in him will have these streams of living water deep within them. John tells us that that living water is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The living water within the believer will quench every spiritual thirst as long as the believer will simply take what the Spirit has and to follow and walk in obedience to the Lord. The Holy Spirit provides spiritual cleansing and constant refreshment in your relationship with God. Jesus knows that the woman's situation already and already knows the details of each part of her life, just like he knows yours and mine. See, he isn't taken surprised by our sin. He knows our need to be rescued even more so than we do. What is interesting is once Jesus reveals that he knows about her life, she quickly again, as we said earlier, she changes the subject about where is the right place to worship? Who has it right, the Jews or the Samaritans? See, Jesus doesn't pick a side, but he just explains what true worship looks like. It doesn't matter where you're at. If you look at what Jesus is saying, in verse 21 through 24, again, he says, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Verse 22, you Samaritans worship at what you do not know. We worship from what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So, Jesus focuses on not where the right place to worship is, but what in, and in what manner do we truly worship God? We do it in spirit and in truth. One author wrote this, true worship must be in spirit, that is engaging the whole heart. Unless there is a real passion for God, there's no worship in spirit. At the same time, worship must be in truth, that is promptly informed. Unless we have knowledge of the God we worship, there is no worship in truth. Both are necessary for God-honoring worship. Spirit without truth leads to a shallow, overly emotional experience that could be compared to a high. As soon as the emotion is over, when the, when the, when the fever cools, the worship ends. Truth without spirit can result in a dry, passionless encounter that can easily lead to a form of joyless legalism. The best combination of both aspects of worship results in joyous, appreciation of God informed by the scriptures. We worship God because we know the truth of God tells us who he is and what he calls for us to do. The more we appreciate the deeper our worship of the Lord, the deeper our worship, the more God is glorified. The more truth of God that we know, the easier it is for us to worship God for who he is and what he's done. Truly, this is how we are to live our life day to day in worship to God. You know, loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
and in according to the truth of the scriptures. And so we see that true worship comes when we truly desire to know God. And we look at God's word, departing it and, or, you know, looking at it and, and exegeting it correctly according to the text of scripture. Not according to whatever it is that we feel like it says, but what was the original intent? You know, what is the context of what God is saying in this passage? You see, it's easy for us to get lost in the emotion of our day-to-day busyness and forget that, you know, there's something that God wants to say to us in his word. But yet we miss out what God wants to say because we get busy. and We lose sight of the appointment that God has for us that day. Number four is this in verse 25 through 26. Jesus reveals he is the Messiah. Look at it with me. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. You see, like the Jews and the Samaritans, they had their own view of who the Messiah would be. Now it's unclear is, is she didn't really like what Jesus said, or was she trying to figure out what the Messiah will be teaching about? See, she saw Jesus as a prophet, but did not realize he was the Messiah until he reveals himself to her. Because in verse 26, this is the first reveal that Jesus does of himself, that he is the Messiah. And what makes this time and place so significant is this, is one, she was Samaritan. Two, she was a woman. She was in a place of brokenness. And four, she didn't have a great reputation among the people. See, Jesus knocks down any kind of cultural norms that the people have put in place. If you had something important you needed to share, well, you would share it with kings and rulers. You wouldn't share it with someone of low reputation in the community. Surely, as a Jew, you wouldn't share it with a Samaritan. On top of that, if you're a Jew, you wouldn't share it with a Samaritan woman. But where was she at in life? She was broken. She was helpless. Remember in Luke uh, chapter 4, Jesus says this in verses... 18 through 19 that of why he came the spirit of the Lord is on me because why he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor he sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor see the spirit of the Lord was there in that moment to do the very thing of why Jesus came on this earth to do, to set free those who were captive, to heal those who were broken. So where are you at tonight? Do you even realize that you're in need to be rescued? Again, yes, Jesus rescued you from your sin, but where are you at in your life that maybe you're struggling with something? Maybe you're having fear or doubts, and what is it you need Jesus to rescue you in? You see, Romans 3.23 tells us, right, for all have sinned and fallen short. And we know because we have all sinned, we need Jesus. But yet the world doesn't see that. They don't see their brokenness yet. They don't see their need for a Savior. John 
3, verse 36, when he's talking to Nicodemus, Jesus says this. <clears throat> or, or John says this, he says, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. You see, there's people today in our worlds, in our jobs, in our schools, who don't have life. They don't have eternal life with Jesus. And they don't even realize it, but they are rejecting the Son of God by not placing their faith and trust in Him. They're choosing their way and not His way. You see, in chapter 4, verses 39 through 42, again, we see later on in the story, it says this, that now many Samaritans from that town believed in Him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I did, she said. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Because now since we have heard for ourselves and know that this is really, that this, is, that this really is the Savior of the world. You see, the town believed in him because of why? Of what the woman said to them. Because you remember, Jesus reveals her sin. She comes face to face with it. And Jesus reveals he is the Messiah. She runs back into town, you know, telling people, I think I found the Messiah, the one who's told me everything about my life. And, and if you remember the disciples, they were out, you know, buying food and and. And they come back to talk to Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, I have food already. You know, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And so the work wasn't done yet. Because if you look back at 37, for in this case, saying true, one sows and another weeps, reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored, and you have benefited from their labor. So... As Jesus shares with this woman, she goes back to tell what the Messiah has done in her life. And then she goes, tells the people. Now remember, she's not a trained evangelist. She didn't go to seminary. But there was one thing that stood out. She had only been in the presence of Jesus. When you're in the presence of Jesus, that is life-changing. All she did was what? She shared what Jesus had done for her. You see, every conversation matters. If you remember, we started off talking about how Jesus was tired. He needed to rest. He had been on a long journey, but he had an appointment to be at. And she didn't realize that she had an appointment too, but Jesus had it taken care of. See, Jesus revealed that there was a gift that God wanted to give her. She thought it was physical, but it was something spiritual. Jesus explains that those who receive the living water will be giving eternal life. And Jesus simply explains to her, hey, I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the Messiah, Jesus says. You see, we look at this story and we see that Jesus made time for this conversation. Even in his tiredness, Probably when his feet were sore. And maybe he, you know, it was just from the, from, the hot, from the heat of the day. 
He didn't allow the things of this world to affect this moment because it was greater than himself. See, we think about application, right? Every conversation matters. So how do we take this application from this passage? Well, simple. Like Jesus, you will grow tired, but you have a message to share. Like Jesus, you must show where people receive the gift of God in the scriptures. Like Jesus, you must tell people how to receive eternal life. Like Jesus, you must reveal who he is through the scriptures. And like the Samaritan woman, you must share what Jesus has done for you. You never know, I tell this to students, you never know where a person is at on their spiritual journey. Your story may be what God uses to help them who is lost be found. And so, but what do we got to do? We got to get over ourselves. We got to be willing to take that extra step of faith out and say, all right, I'm tired and you know, I'm ready to go home, but for whatever reason, I feel, the, I feel you, Lord, I feel you prompting me to talk to this person over here. You know, taking that step of faith. Taking time. Because why? Every conversation matters. Because you remember what Jesus says in verse 37, or, or back in 36, the reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. See, you may be the reaper, you may be the sower. We don't know. But you sharing Jesus with someone or going with us on Share Sunday, asking people how you can pray for them, you don't know where that's going to put people further along on their journey. You don't know if a person is ready to receive Christ. That's why we have to live our lives with the truth that every conversation matters. Because when we look at these applications, we're doing nothing different than what Jesus did, right? We get tired, but we know what the gift of God is. It's Jesus. We know where to point people in the scriptures. We should know. We don't have a different message to share, but the same as him. And we know that Jesus is our rescuer. He's our savior. And that's who we are to be sharing the world with. You see, you've got a story to share. Someone needs to hear it this week. You had the bracelets this morning. I encourage you. And ask God to bring someone in your path that you can share that with. Take it with you to the grocery store. Take it with you to the gas station. Take it with you to work. And let that little bracelet in your pocket be a reminder to you. Or wear it on your wrist. So, hey, what's that mean? Oh, man, there's an open door opportunity. You can't ask for a better question than that. And see what the Lord does with your faithfulness in that moment. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for this time. As we are reminded from this passage how Jesus was traveling, worn out, tired, walked for miles upon miles, but yet he knew in that moment there was a conversation that needed to happen. Instead of just getting the water and leaving, he provided an opportunity for someone to know the truth, to experience the truth, and that to receive the truth. So, Father, may we be faithful to share the gospel this week. Lord, help us to push aside any distractions we may have. Help us to 
get over ourselves and thinking that we can't do it. Because, God, we can. Because you tell us that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that dwells within each and every believer. So, Father, it's by your strength that we would trust and know that we are doing the work of God when we share the gospel with people. And, Father, may we not allow the enemy to create doubts in our minds or or in our heads. And, Father, that we would surround ourselves with brothers and sisters to hold us accountable, to pray for us in those moments. Because, Lord, we know that there is someone or several people this week that we could have conversations with. Help us to be bold, to share Jesus, and to remember every conversation matters. In Jesus' name we pray. to pray for Pastor Jim and the convention uh, as he's out there and uh, we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for, again, this time together. God, we thank you for uh, the opportunity that we get to pray together daily. Lord, we just want to lift up Pastor Jim and Samantha to you as they are out in Louisiana for the convention. We just pray for wisdom. God, we pray for peace and unity to be made. And God, may you be glorified and give wisdom to those in leadership. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.